Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. to another exciting um, adventure because this this show is going to be such a such a gift to all of you and to me as well um, for those of you that have listened to all of Miriam um, Dina Miriam's books uh, this this book fits right in and it's called the the flight of the bun monks and it's it's an amazing story it's an adventure set in esoteric locations, and it takes us on a journey to the highest land on Earth while exploring the rare, uh, a rare piece of history. This book provides an inside view into the Chinese occupation of Tibet and the tenets of Bun, one of the world's oldest but least known religions. It chronicles the true story of three Bun monks who heroically escaped occupied Tibet and went on to rebuild their culture through incredible resilience, determination, and passion. It reads like a fictional novel, but it's absolutely true. The characters are all true. And I had to keep reminding myself as I was reading it that this is a true story. This took place in my lifetime. And it is, it is just a piece of work that everybody should read. There, there are... There are out there lots and lots of books. Obviously, there are thousands and millions of them. But every now and then, I come across one that is historically accurate and takes you back and takes you through an occurrence that happened while in your lifetime you were unaware of. And though I have been doing spiritual shows for the last 50 years, Bun is one of the religions that I have not come across, and now I'm fascinated by it. And you will be, too. So I want to welcome the authors we have with us today, um, Harvey Rice and Jackie Cole. They wrote this book. 
with with care and love and dedication that is that is quite obvious. Um, welcome to the show, Harvey and Jackie. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, it's 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 such an exciting thing for me. To, you know, every now and then when you're in the field a long time, you figure, well, I've I've seen most everything, and I have come to learn that 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 is just so not the truth. The minute I think it, something comes up that says, well, but you haven't seen this, and absolutely right. <laughs> Um, I'm fascinated by Bun. I I am fascinated by how it grew up as you know, kind of along. No, Buddhism grew up alongside of it apparently, and I am fascinated by the fact that, that this this incredible story was written that took place in my lifetime. And I mean, your main characters, you know, hadn't seen cars, hadn't seen airplanes hadn't seen I mean I mean they they were so isolated because of their their where they lived in Tibet that at first I thought okay you know we're going way back in history here but that wasn't the case I mean they were so isolated that that you know when they were introduced to technology and stuff you know they 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 were amazing but but early on they were trying to rebuild um, temples and stuff and, and recopy ancient texts. And, I mean, it just, it, it reminded me, it, it, it kind of took me back to, oh, my gosh, you know, the building, the, the burning of the library at Alexandria where they were trying to preserve their history and, and their philosophies. And then growing up right next to, with Buddhism coming in, they they still struggled for their independence and and it it's it's an amazing story um what prompted you to to write this amazing book well i'm a i'm a bun student and have been for over 20 years now and whenever you have a teaching from a um bun monk or lama or geshe then they always start the teaching with who they are, what their lineage is, who taught them this, and where they got the transmissions from. So there's a direct descendance of the teachings from one to another. And that's when I first got into this, I, that stuff just didn't register. I was more interested in what the, what the content was. But over time, I began to say, wait a minute, there's a real history here. And then I got to where someone said at some point there were only four people alive, four of the masters alive, that had made it out of Tibet, still alive. So I came home one day and said to Harvey, Harvey, we need to tell this story, and I'll let you take it from here, Harvey. (laughs) Yeah, at that time I was working for the Houston Chronicle, and my office was in my home. And uh, <clears throat> Jackie came up and while well, I was working on a story, and she said, "Have you got a minute?" And I said, "Sure." And she said, uh, "Listen, I got this. Heard this story about one of my teachers about how he was shot, left for dead." And she began to give me some details that she knew about that. And she said, uh, "Do you think that's worth a book?" And I. I said, yeah, I, it sounds really interesting. Let's do it. 
and that's how we started. And we started from there. And at that time, we didn't even know the whole story yet. It was the story was much turned out to be much more interesting than we originally even thought. Well, I found so that, that was that in there... twenty that was in twenty eleven. And so the first thing we did was to contact the people involved and ask for their permission and blessings and then began to make um, plans for interviews, trips overseas to interview people and to get the whole process started. So we were 10 years writing this book, and you talked about, you mentioned how isolated they were when when the first episode started for them in in their life in Tibet. And it was isolated by design. Tibet liked themselves to be isolated, which then caused them a problem once China invaded because they had no allies. So it was a, a, a calculation on their part to remain isolated, but it cost them later by not having any allies with the outside world. Well, it, it, I think... I was fascinated with also the the uh they studied for for I thirteen, fourteen, seventeen years, something like that, before they actually even got into the the level that, that they they had to be in in order to teach. And the 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 philosophy of their of the religion itself feels so spiritual, so pure and because it's been preserved so meticulously, and you know, they had copied a lot of the tech when when the Chinese came in and destroyed a lot of the monasteries, they were copying the texts and trying to retrieve their history and and it was amazing the 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 dedication that that they had to copy these these works by hand. Are they are they the 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 the, uh, the the text that they copied it was it's not like like books of the Bible but are they philosophical texts that that they were copying to retrieve and bring back they were copying texts from the um, original religion that had been written down the Bun religion that had been written down and there's a whole um, it's called the conjure. And it's a whole set of books that describes different practices. The Bun religion is really a religion that incorporates practices for the body, speech, and mind. And so they have practices to help people when they need healing, when they need um, good weather for their crops, and they also have a whole curriculum of training your mind so that you can realize your true inner nature and your true self. And that's when you can stay there, when you realize that and can live there, that's enlightenment. So oh, it's, a, it's a religion that is, and it's very earth-based. So it, because, so it's also, it's not just intellectual, um, it has the practices, like I said, for body, speech, and mind. And so what they were trying to do was Samson Carme and Sanjay Tenzin carried a bunch of texts out over the Himalayas. But what they were trying to do was reprint those and make more copies and also find ones that they were missing. 
So they traveled to Dolpo in Nepal, in the Dolpo area, in the Mustang area, hunting the monasteries there that hadn't been destroyed for the texts that they could find. And then they could take those and make copies of them so that they could then once again have a complete set of all of the, um, the texts that taught them their religion. Well, was, is Buddhism, did it grow out of Bun, or is that totally separate? Because it feels there are similarities there. They're very, very similar, and it depends on who you talk to. If you talk to the Buddhists, they will tell you that the Bun took from the Buddhists. And if you talk to the Bun, the Bun, of course, say they were there first, and therefore the Buddhists amalgamated their tr- teachings to match the religion that was already there. And so they, are, they do look very similar. They're not exact, but they do look very similar, have a lot of the same iconography. But Bun well, was I, there I, first. Yeah, I, I think, didn't the Dalai Lama at first not really support the Bun, but, but then began to be supportive of them, so he, he did help them in, in some ways? Oh yes, he he eventually recognized Bun as one of the as the fifth um, type of school of uh, spiritual learning and spiritual tradition in in Tibet. When uh, <clears throat> originally, when David Snellgrove, uh, you know, he met the, the three monks who are the main characters in our in our book, and uh-huh. he uh, had to ask permission from the Dalai Lama to take them to London as he wanted to do as part of the, uh, the program under the, the uh, Rockefeller grant. And, uh, the, and the Dalai Lama said, well, why are you taking, why don't you take Buddhists? And he was not happy about that. But over time, he, he, once he met, he met the three Monpos, and eventually he came to support them and he would and while they were in london uh Tenzin wrote him letters and the the dalai lama uh promised his support to try to help them as they <clears throat> tried to reestablish the religion in in india well i think i think what people have to understand is you know this happened in our time frame here but these people, these these wonderful spiritual people, um, came from a, a time and a, a place where they didn't even know how to use a knife and fork and spoon. Where when they finally had, I, I loved it when when they finally had English clothes made for them. Um, one of them figured, you know, the zipper have, belonged in the back of the men's pants, and he wore his pants backwards for a little bit. Um, <laughs> Yeah. They, I thought, how how sweet. I mean, they they were they're such a gentle group of people. I can see how they they definitely could have been totally wiped out. Um, there there were apparently. Uh, I mean, one of the things that they they promised to do and and you know, is, is to not kill another another thing or another person so that I think there were certain monks that were allowed to be violent if they had to defend themselves. But um, 
it just it, it is they they came from such an amazing culture that was that was a time out of time almost they were living they were living in in a time where um I guess I've seen pictures of the Himalayas, and, and, you know, I know how isolate they can be. But they came from a time that was probably a far gentler time than the time that they were dragged into because of um, the army coming in and trying to wipe them out. And is is the Chinese army trying to wipe out the Buddhists as well as the Bun? Oh, oh, yeah. They didn't. They didn't distinguish between Buddhists and Bon in any way. They, they, um, yeah. They wanted to wipe out all because the monasteries were connected to the government, and so they, excuse me, the monasteries were connected to the government, and so they had to, um, they had to wipe out the monasteries in order to overcome the government. <clears throat> well, and you know, when we talk about a simple time, some of these monasteries had thousands of monks in them. I mean, it, it's it's not a little teeny little cluster. There there were there there were huge numbers of the bun monks there, and 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 the Buddhists as well. And what the it it it's it breaks your heart when you realize that that in in your own time frame. Um, there there are parts of the humanity that are that are literally trying to obliterate some of the sweetest parts of a spiritual um concept that 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 is out there these were gentle gentle people who who you know were just so generous and kind and when you think of you hear the stories of of soldiers you know no man left behind and all of that these went above and beyond um and and you know there there were there were areas where um one woman her husband had died and so the two brothers took care of her and her children and they they found out where she was and they they escaped and they went back for her and got her and and the children and brought them out i mean the dedication and the connections that these people have is a testimony to the to the spiritual connection that they they grew up and and were a part of that is a shame it isn't more out there today. Yes, and the the uh, the incident you're talking about the two brothers they the two brothers as was traditional in, in Tibet they had they shared a wife so polandry was was quite. Uh, common in Tibet for uh, especially among the poor poor classes and they had actually crossed the Himalayas twice because they they escaped which was an arduous escape crossing the Himalayas and then they then they heard from other refugees where their wife was so then they crossed back over the Himalayas I mean if you can just imagine it's so difficult such a difficult journey to cross the Himalayas, but to do it twice, well, actually you, you, three times because they had to go back, get their wife, and then they ended up as guides for Tenzin and his party and crossed again for the third time. It's really phenomenal. Oh, you think? And, 
I wanted to also address, you talked about how gentle they were, and I think one of the things that attracts us to this religion is the example that is set by our teachers. And they were, are incredibly gentle people. Uh, the, all, the Tibetans are human, so there's all kinds of Tibetans. Uh, just like they're all kinds of us. And so yeah. not everyone is as kind and as gentle as our teachers are. But they were extraordinary, and they were extraordinary not only for their kindness and gentleness, but for their resilience and determination and devotion, and their devotion to their religion and to each other, to their country, it's it's just a remarkable story about how they just persevered and, well, it, and, it, it, and their survival. Their journey through, you know, we talk about, um, you know, through the through the Himalayas and, and, you know, everybody, yeah, real tall mountains. Well, they they experienced frostbite and they experienced all sorts of, horrible things and they would lop off a finger or a toe so that it didn't become gangrenous or i mean you know it was it was nothing for them to have to cut off a digit or a toe or something because um it had been frozen and they couldn't unfreeze it i mean it was they the hardship that they incurred and the starvation that they went through um, and and usually the the bun monks were would you know make sure everybody else ate before they did, and I mean such gentle souls. I mean, holy yes. cow! You 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 don't see it today. You just don't see it today, in in you know in current times here. And when I think of of how you know the the uh, the the, the I don't know. I can't remember what they were called, but the 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 thing they wore when they were going through the snow that protected them, literally. Oh, they're chupas. They're they're yes. big coats. Um, I'm not sure I could walk in one, much less trudge across a mountain. Um, but 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 you know they 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 did it with such grace and dignity. It's yes. and again. This is a true story. The the main character, as, as I, we spoke earlier, is still alive. He's in his 90s. And 99 lives in Kathmandu. Wow. That's true. It's also true that a lot of refugees who tried to cross the Himalayas didn't make it, and their bodies are still there frozen. I mean, they froze to death. They starved to death. They fell down crevasses and all kinds of terrible things happen to them and it's quite common for people escaping to see the bodies of people that didn't make it as they're trudging through the mountains. One of the the stories about their escape that I enjoyed that doesn't get a whole lot of attention but it, it it when you google it to see the pictures of it is that they got to a lake and they were out in the middle of nowhere and yet they could be seen from everywhere and they could see everywhere so they had nowhere to hide but the wind had splashed up onto the shore these great chunks of ice that made igloos and i couldn't really figure it out until i because i don't live in the north until I started looking for images of lake-produced ice caves from the waves. And they're very dangerous because they can fall at any time. 
But when you see those ice slabs that are up against the side of a lake that have been formed by the wind blowing the lake up, and that was the only place they had to hide in order to keep from getting caught. So they spent their time in those ice caves until they could move on safely. It's just that I see this image of them being in there with these ice slabs around them and not knowing if they're going to fall at any one time. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Well, the other thing, when they were escaping, they had to cross a huge river, and they they were really worried about how were they going to get across it because they had no way of, you know, floating across or anything. And And at one point they came to what appeared to be a lake, that wasn't it was a fro it was the river fro it was almost as though spirit was saying here you know you know it's okay you know i'll it's safe for you to go across here so that so that there is an amazing spiritual aspect to all of this in that how people connected and how people kind of met with each other and and in a journey like crossing the himalayas crossing what had to be a huge river that became a pond so that they could go across on the ice and get to the other side and then, of course, climb mountains and, and go across crevasses and, and everything they did, that that they, I mean, what it builds tremendous character, among other things, but it's, it's they did it because they were preserving something and they were, they were wanting to... Um, not let go of of that part of the spirit within them, and I think it, it was it's an amazing, amazing story. And my gosh, that there's still, were you able to interview all of these characters, Harvey? Yeah, the the three main characters. Yes, <clears throat> we interviewed all of them, and some <clears throat> of the ancillary characters as well. As well, we did not. Of course, John Ford was not who was the main character of the chapter of the invasion in eastern Tibet. He uh-huh. was passed by the time we started writing that, so we got a lot of that information from history books and from his own autobiography. And then um, the some of the other minor characters in the history we had to get from history books, but most of the people that have that are in the book, we were very fortunate to be able to interview before they passed or are they are still alive. I think one of the one of the really fascinating pieces was that um they saved some reliquaries, some some of the some of the um holy um symbols that that, that they they had in, in one of their temples. They were able to um get them out of uh wherever the temple was it was the main temple and they hid them in a cave and and that they were they were moved a couple of times and then hidden and it was 20 years later he went back to find them and he found them yes yes the they had he almost at first he sent a friend of his to look for them and the friend went in the cave, and he didn't see anything in the cave. So Dr. Olama uh, <clears throat> went himself, and he went to the cave, and there was nothing there. So he started removing some of the cave floor, which was covered 
in animal dung and all the the relic and there was some golden uh, candle holders and a number of items in the cave and they were had been covered up with all this animal dung and which really saved them from being stolen by robbers or whoever might have chanced on the cave and uh, he dug through that and he found them and rescued them and now they are in uh, Minary Monastery which is was the original the seat of the Bon religion that's the mother monastery which has now been superseded by the Minary Monastery in India which was founded by Tenzin or the primary uh-huh. character in the in the book and he re, so he essentially refounded the religion in India <clears throat> and that's well, where think, all the go ahead no no i i, I was just going to say i think that that's another part of the story that i think people um will be um amazed at the fact that um when the dalai lama left that that the bone uh people who 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 followed him left with him i mean they they traveled they left as well they and you know here if a church goes down they find another church but but that's not the case here because the 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 priests and and the lamas and 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 all of the higher echelons um they have a significance to them um one wonders you know if if the pope decided to desert rome would a whole bunch of you know catholics follow him wherever he went probably not but but these people believed so deeply in in the the sanctity the spirituality the 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 wisdom that is held by the leader of of the 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 religion um that they they would up up and follow them to wherever they went i uh, it's an amazing amazing story and they are they they have um they they re- redid a community they got um I, I think uh, they bought community. The last monastery that was built um, by Tenzin, um, that there's a community connected to it where people have have sort of migrated back to be a part of the uh, the Bon commu- the Bon community. Yes, they founded. They bought land in India. And mm-hmm. he started a monastery there as well as the village. Actually, the village came first. If you look at the hierarchy of needs, the, you know, you have to have a place to live and food to eat and a, a sense of well-being. And he, once he got that established, then and the Bun felt like they could be among themselves and, and be recognized and feel comfortable, then they, then they started rebuilding the monastery and getting the... Um, um, the religious leaders that they needed to make sure that there was the community reestablished. And um, so that was done in India. And then he, 25 years later, he founded the monastery in Nepal, in Kathmandu. So there's two major monasteries outside of Tibet that, and in, in the Bun religion, as well as other Tibetan religions, the monasteries are mostly schools, they're universities. So just like in a university here, once you graduate, unless you stay on to teach or in administration, you're sent out into the world 
to uh, make your way. And um, so that's one of the reasons that so many of us who are fortunate to have found Bun have found Bun because they they came to us from teachers who graduated from that school in that monastery in India and then came out into the world to let other people know about Bun. So bad news that the Chinese took over, but good news for the rest of us. Well, I I think something was said in the book that the Chinese decided it was good for um, tourism so that they they were letting them all be in peace for a while. Um, You know, you talk about it being, the monasteries being schools, but... It's not like a college. It's not four years and out and make your living. It, it's 14 years, 15 years of study? Yes, yes, yes. Most people go, most of the boys go, and there are now some schools that have, like Minri Monastery in India has a nunnery, which graduates women with Geshe degrees as well. But most people go to, if they're going to be a monk and, and study for their Geshe degree, they, they get to the monastery at 10 or 12 or 14. And then they study from there. Well, I think one of the one of the things I was most fascinated with was um, they have a procedure for picking a leader of 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 the spiritual sect, you know. And when if you if you can speak a little bit to that, because their way of selecting someone who is going to be a leader. It was a it was a profound ceremony, and I was fascinated with it. And I I watched it happen twice in the book. So about yes. how they explain how they select their leader because I think it's fascinating. Okay, well, unlike in Tibetan Buddhism, where the leaders are picked through a method of reincarnation. And so, therefore, young young boys are recognized as the reincarnation of the previous leader. In the Bun tradition, the head of the Bun tradition, the which is the person who is the head of the Minri monastery, it becomes the head of the religion. And so that person is picked by a process that they consider the protectors choose. So the guardians and protectors of buns are the one that choose, and they put all of the names of the people who are eligible, which are all the geshes that are, that are still monks and are still want to be the leader, considered for the leader. They put their names in a little ball of dough. They're all weighed, so they're the same weight. And then they're put in a bowl, and, those, and then they're sealed, and they're set in the guardian temple and there's prayers done around the clock for seven days and then those bowl that bowl is taken out and it's shook until two balls fall out of there and land on a silk cloth that's underneath there it's almost as if those balls jump out then those balls are put in another bowl and sealed and put back in the guardian temple and the rest of the balls are burnt in a ceremonial fire then there's another week of prayers, 24 hours, 24-7. And then on the first day of the new year, the, that bowl is brought out, and it is shook until a ball falls out. And that's the new leader. Nobody knows who it is. And in fact, 
the person that was running the ceremony held the ball up and everyone in the room pledged their support to whoever it was before they ever read the name. So they took a vow that this was their, going to be their new leader and they would support them. Then they opened it up and there was the name. The first time that it occurred in our lifetime was when they chose Sanjay Chinzin, who became His right. Holiness uh, Lungtak Nima, which was the main, one of our main characters. And then the second time was after His Holiness died and they had to pick a new one. And interestingly enough, the guardians who picked the new one, if you believe that's the way it happened, serendipity, magic, the guardians, he had trained with his, the first, his, with Lung Talk, with Sanjay Chinson, our character. He wow. trained with him. And in fact, he was from the same part of Tibet. He wasn't born in Nepal or India. He was from Tibet, the same part of Tibet that Sanjay Chinson had been from, and had trained with him and under him and was an administrator at Minri. What was his job? So he was, it was like they got the perfect person. Somehow, the perfect person to continue the direction of Minri in exile, that ball jumped out of the bowl. That's amazing. amazing. Just and inexplicable looks- almost, unless you believe in magic or the spirits or the great universe or serendipity or whatever. Or all of the above, yeah. I think Right, I, or all of the it- above. It it makes perfect sense, and 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 you know if you can, um, not only believe in it but live by it, then then magic happens. And yes, I think that 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 Sanjay uh, Tinson, he his life was just so amazing, and the the struggles that he went through, and the times that that. I want to say spirit in, intervened because there was a, a time where he was he was shot and he was laying on the ground and the Chinese were going around and and you know giving the they didn't coup de finish gras. him off. They no. didn't finish him off. There are so many incidences of spirit intervening. I'm so happy that you noticed it. Oh, geez, yeah. Uh, <laughs> have you looked at my show? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, <laughs> And and it you know I was sitting here thinking, you know, so often these kind of experiences, um, you know, they're history. They're you know they're 100 years ago or 200 years. This this stuff happened in my lifetime, and you know the times that that you know he just happened to meet people that were appropriate for him or. Or yeah. you know, it, serendipity, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, I call it spirit. But but this man had a a calling and a cause, and he followed it meticulously. He never wavered, and what he was able to to create without violence is amazing. I mean, just his. I mean, at at first his his. His thing was to to regather all of the um, all of the writings and and reassemble them, and what he did. I, I mean, gosh, they slept on floors, they went hungry. They, I, I mean, 
they 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 struggled beyond beyond anything that anybody I know today would do. I know a lot of people who are very religiously oriented, but there's no way in heck they would have gone through what this man went through. So there there, there was a deep calling inside of him that that you know has taken him to this point in time in his life and will probably take him a lot further. Um so he, he doesn't go out and, and go around much anymore, I would think, at 99. Um, but I'll let you know when I hit 99 if I feel that kind of active or not. But <laughs> he's, he's beaten his body to the point of, of it, should have, it should have given out. He should have passed away. And yet there was always someone or something there that helped him to, to go beyond. He was shot several times, wasn't he? Once in the in the leg, and there was another shot I think he had. He was shot once. He was only shot once in the leg. The There were other characters that had been shot in this story, and so we get to follow them as well. But <clears throat> Tenzin was, Tenzin Namduk was only shot once, but it shattered his leg. It took him, well, he's still, he's now to the point where he doesn't hardly walk at all. When he goes from one place to another, he goes in a wheelchair. His legs hurt. Wow. Well, you know, when you have people that are that that closely attached to the other side, it's it's just amazing what they they can and do endure. And he, it, it, it felt as though he never really complained. He, no. he and if, always if you had a chance to meet him now, you'd know too. He never complains. It must have He's been. He's always smiling. Always smiling. Wow. Now, does he speak English? He does speak English, doesn't he? Or no? Yes, he speaks English. Yes, he speaks English. And they learned English in, in, in um, London. Uh-huh. And so when he comes, he, he teaches in English. When he, when he used to come to the United States, and he would teach in English. And then he also has a center in France. He doesn't travel there anymore, but when he did, he would teach in English there as well. We did our interviews. And when we did our interviews, we interviewed him in English, although there was a companion there who would translate in Tibetan for us. If if he needed to switch to Tibetan, then he would translate for us. The companion would. I I love Tibetan. I don't speak any Tibetan. <laughs> well, I know well, Kashi Delay and Tujikche and enough to get so, by. Well, it's I think I I'd want to know how much you. is it. <laughs> I, I I'd want to know how much is it and where's the ladies' room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, interesting. Tibetan thing. is a difficult Tibetan's a difficult language because the language that you use to ask where the bathroom is and how much it is is a different language than the written language that's used in the scriptures. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, he was, he, they were, the, the, when they were in, in England, I, I loved it because uh, the, the gentleman that took him to England was trying to protect them. And once they got, once they were able to really communicate and get out on their own, they, they I love it. They arranged a, a, an audience with the Pope. And yeah. <laughs> yes. They were not like, they were not to be they were not to be <clears throat> leashed. <laughs> and and I, I loved I loved the fact that, that Snodgrass or uh, said 
You know, they're just out there. I have no control over them anymore. Right. <laughs> well, um, but Sanjay Tinson, who w- w- turned out to be appointed the the um, head of Minry, uh-huh. he was not at that point. But he was extremely interested in the structure of monasteries. And so he would visit the Catholic monasteries and the Greek Orthodox monasteries in Europe in order to talk to them about how the monasteries are structured and what their days are like and so forth. And so he wasn't interested in Catholicism. He was interested in, the, in how the monasteries worked. And it turned out to be exactly what he needed when he got to Minry, Delangi and Minry, the new settlement, so that he could set up the monastery there, and he used many of the structures that he learned, the, the, the ways of the, how the days were structured and so forth. He used many of those things that he learned in Europe in setting up the monastery there in India, different wow, from the way the monasteries in Tibet were structured. I, lo- I love the fact that his innocence got him further than someone trying to manipulate you know, yes. just just being so innocent, so sweet that that you know you, you kind of want to do whatever he needs because <laughs> there's that that element of God. You got to help him, or he's going to get killed. But you know, he'd already <laughs> been through all of that. But I loved. Well, him. I was, I, don't know. I just wanted to say, having met these people, they were like that, and yet they were extremely fierce. When they needed to be, yeah. whether it was fierceness in moving forward, or whether it was strictness in making sure that things were orderly. Well, when he was in the the prison camp, and, and they were trying to arm themselves as they were trying to get ready to escape, I mean, they they were they were looking for. Any any kind of weapon they could get, and you know when when we think of weapons, we think of AK-47s. I mean, they they had knives and they had sticks and they had, um, I, I mean, they 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 escaped from a prison camp and trudged over the Himalayas with very little preparation, and 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 yet. You know they made it, and, and you know if ever there was a, um, gosh, a forty-year pilgrimage type, and you know, th- theirs was better than than forty years in the desert. I'm sorry, it just was. Um, they 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 were 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 treated with such um, honor and such love, and when people realized that that they were born. It it didn't matter after a while because they I I do believe that their spirituality shone out and and it was you know people had to help they just had to help yeah and and there were there were people that I mean I, somebody gave them yaks um, it, it was kind of like they they fell upon people who were able to give them what they needed to get to the next stage and then. The next stage was taken care of, and they—they—it's kind of like spirit will provide, and it does in strange and wonderful ways. But 
you know, they lost toes and they lost ears. I think somebody had an ear lopped off. Um, it just, it, it's, it blows your mind that this happened in your lifetime. I think that's what this, this book was so amazing to me because this is something that's happening today. This is something yeah, well, that happened. When they, when they were going through this, the Beatles were playing in England. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, and it, you didn't talk about the spirit. We, we, in the book, there were so many incidences where the spirit helped them along, as, as you would say. And, um, but we tried not to, we tried to leave that to the reader to recognize as opposed to saying this, this was the spirit. So I think it's pretty obvious all of the different times. It's amazing how many times he was, aided by the universe it's it's kind of you kind of when you have the dedication that he had to his spiritual calling um there's no question that spirit is going to help i mean it's it's just he, he was so genuine that there's no way spirit wasn't going to help and and yet and yet he suffered greatly um, you know, he went hungry. He almost starved. He almost died a couple times. He was shot, um, and and yet there is such a peaceful feeling to him at the end of the book, even that it, it's just you know I, this is what I needed to do, and this is the result. I would imagine there's a great deal of humility connected to him. Well, that's the reason that we wrote the um, dedication to them because they teach us how to live. And the story gives you the example of how to live. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, that you know, I'm not going to say everybody's going to, you know, I, I would hope that everybody looks into Bun and and sees the, the purity and the simplicity and and the link to spirit that is obviously there. Um, it to me, it's more obvious the spirit is there than than when you look at huge cathedrals and stuff like that with with huge reliquaries on, on the altars and everything like that. Bun feels to me as though it it keeps spirit where it belongs and isn't isn't you know, great and massive and, 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 you know, spending money in places where it's inappropriate. It feels as though it's sharing it with the people that need it the most. And that's a better definition of religion than, than, than is out there today. You know, I'm not knocking any religion. I think I, I believe in all of them. But this one is very special, and, and I, I do want to thank you for writing this book because it it really brought to the fore that, that, that the innocence of spirit can do so much if it's truly and truly a part of, that is integrated into your soul and your life. And with yeah. him, it, it definitely was, and there was never any doubt, you know, it was it was you know, kind of like, of course, I'll do what I have, what I can do, 
I, I don't think he ever said, I doubt it. I don't think he ever said, well, that's impossible. He just started working on stuff, and it happened. Um, yeah. He collected, <clears throat> you know, he, collect, he collected the manuscripts and pulled them together, and then, and then you have to get them printed, and then you fall into a place where they can be printed. And he did, did, did they, were they able to get the complete set of the books of the text uh, rescued? Yes, and you know there's two different people working on the uh, Santin Carme and Sanjay Tenzin. Those two were working on the print press, and Tenzin Namdok was in Kathmandu, and they had met very briefly in Tibet when um, at one of the monasteries, but they were not united in the program to get everything going again till they went to London together. So it well, was. Um, go ahead. Well, didn't didn't um, didn't the Dalai Lama send one of the Buddhist monks as well with that group of of guys that went to England? There was one. There was one Buddhist that David Snowgrove chose. He was primarily interested in studying the Bun religion, uh-huh. but as sort of a sob to the Dalai Lama because uh, he chose a Buddhist to go along with him as well. And that and when they in London he would turned out to be unhappy and he and not did not like living in London and uh, did not get along well with the other monks and uh, even though and so he finally uh, left. He was the first one to leave. I think I think one of the things that impressed me so much is their desire to learn. I mean, they even learned construction and built um, a stone wall around uh, around um, the house that they were living in. They they you know they would roll their sleeves up and want to learn how to do something not just be amazed by it but want to learn how to do it and um amazing people uh, just absolutely yes and that a, that wall still stands and they also built a stupa in the yard this is in snowgrove's home and uh <clears throat> that we went there and we knocked on the door having no idea who lived there now because Snowgrove had, had by this time was living in Italy and the people that answered the door we told them why we were there and they were so gracious and they let us into the house and they showed us you know so we were able to see where the monks lived and see the stupa that they built and the wall they built which was designed the wall was designed by the neighbor and they built that because they wanted to learn how to construct things using mortar because mortar is not used in, in building in Tibet. There they just use mud and stones. And so they were uh, quite fascinated by, the, by mortar, and that's, what, that's why they wanted to build that wall. And it's still standing. It's quite a nice wall. <laughs> well, um, I, I think that also that they're they're 
um, their thirst for knowledge and, and experiences is just remarkable, and they 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 appear to be so genuine, and I'm sure they are. I'm just noticing though that we're almost out of time here. Um, I, I would love. Uh, do you have a website? Is there some place where people can learn more about you and and the book? And uh, how can they find the book and you? Yes, our website is the name of the book, flightofthebunmonks.com. And there are there you can read about the book. You can there's a the prologue is there. You can read it for free. And um, there are some of our book reviews and endorsements, as well as links to anywhere you can buy it, anywhere you want to. It's on, available for pre-order right now. It's coming out in a couple of weeks on the 27th. We also have more information, some blogs and more information about our characters, Sanjay Tenzin, Sam Tukarme, and Tenzin Namdak. Well, first of all, it's a beautiful book. And second of all, the story is just, you can't put it down, um, which, which I love. Because I read a book a week, and this one went faster than I thought it was going to go because I couldn't put it down. I kept thinking, this is a real story. These are real people. This has happened in my, I, 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 the fact that it happened in my lifetime just blows me away because the first part of it is so primitive it's hard to believe that, that that level of primitiveness exists in the world today, and, and obviously it does. And it's just it's an amazing book. I, I truly thank you to very much for the 10 years you put into it because it shows. And, and thank you for bringing these people to the fore so, so people can see what, what truly spiritual people will do. In, in order to preserve a concept and, and, and share it with other people. It's, it's an amazing, amazing book, and I thank you both so much for your time and your effort and, and your time tonight. So thank you so thank much for sharing this with us. Thank you so much for having us on. We enjoyed talking to you very much. Well, thank you. It's, it's it's Barbara. It's great to talk to you, and and we thank you for helping us sh- uh, share the story because we want everyone to know about these remarkable, remarkable people. Well, there's got to be a movie in this for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Flight of the Bun Monks. Yeah, I it it it, it I, I I bet you. I mean, look at what uh, was it Tom, <clears throat> was it Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt did. Um, so many days in Tibet, a movie a long time ago that had mm. talked of the um, Dalai Lama's flight. Um, yes, this is this is so worth. Um, I bet you, um, you know, I hope that that there is something more done with it to bring it more to the fore of people's minds and and understanding that that first of all, humanity can be cruel and vicious even in today's standards, and people can survive it. And if they have a spiritual message or a, or a, or a, or a purpose in their life, that no matter no matter what, they can make things happen with the proper attitude and the proper stick-to-itiveness and and the spiritual it wins out no matter what. So I do yes. thank you both so thank very you. very much. Take care now. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Bye.
Thank you, everybody. This is an amazing book. Please, please, please check it out. Um, I, I had the good fortune of reading it, um, and it, it, it comes out, I think, on the 27th. She said, it's worth ordering ahead. You will not put it down, and you will learn some very amazing material that uh, that you wouldn't believe happens today, but it sure did. Thanks again, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.